mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, as we go through the gospel according to John Mark, we're going to be beginning in verse 45 this week, hopefully closing up the chapter. I've been taking a little bit more time, as you've noticed. Um, 6.45, if you'll remember, last week, Jesus just fed 5,000 men. Now, there's a lot of controversy on whether it's 5,000 men, 5,000 people, women and children were not counted in those days. So it could have been as many as 20,000 people that he just fed with five loaves and two fish. Somebody has said with a little boy's lunchbox, he fed 20,000 people. Now, it's very important that we understand this because with you and I, that would be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And what he did it was a sign. John calls them signs. It's a sign. It tells you something. And I do this all the time, painting this wall up here. See this? This is a wall. It's been painted. It's brown. But if that was wet paint, and there was a sign here that said wet paint, it would tell you something more about that brown paint that you didn't know because it's a sign. Listen. And Jesus just took five fish, or excuse me, five loaves and two fish, and fed maybe 20,000. Let's, let's take it. Let's, 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 okay. Let's don't get stupid. Okay, it was 10,000. Okay, maybe that's stupid. Let's take it back to exactly what the Bible says and not read into it and just say he fed 5,000 men. And they were gluttoned. They were sad. They didn't want any more. They laid back and said, it's nap time. Listen to me. Just 5,000. That's impossible. It doesn't make sense unless he's showing them something that they need to know. Now remember, he's, he's, he's having them follow him. What we're supposed to be doing if we know Jesus. He is discipling them. They're learning. They're supposed to get this. Remember, he's, he's trying to train them in who he is because they still don't know who he is fully. They've made some claims. They said, yes, you're the, the son of God, but, but they don't fully understand that. And you and I are the same way as, as people who say that they are Christians. We say, yeah, I believe that truth. I have a head knowledge of that. But we don't always have the experience. And we haven't stepped out of the boat. And we haven't done the things that we need to do. So God allows storms to come. God allows battles to come. God allows these things to come and tempt us so that we can either look to Him or look to the arm of the flesh. 
so that we will learn to see exactly who He is, and we will know for sure in whom we have trusted. Listen to me. A storm is brewing. A storm is coming of the likes you've never seen. Are you in the ship? King James. i got to go to King James because I like ship better because it's the fellowship. Are you in the vessel that God has prepared for salvation? Are you in Christ? Listen, not that I just said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I don't know if you guys remember, but that's not really a polite saying. They were first called Christians in Antioch. It was derogatorily given to them because they were acting like Jesus. But today, that's our number one claim. And we don't even understand that it's an upside down claim. I'm a Christian? Really? That's what unbelievers called people who were following the way in Antioch in the day. Because they were acting like they were different now because they knew somebody who died on a cross and rose again. So today when we all claim to be, I'm a Christian, has it really changed your life? What, is it, what has it done in your life? I mean, the first words of the gospel are repent, change your mind, change your direction. How's that working out? See, we haven't arrived yet. Although positionally, we, are, we have salvation. We've been delivered from the sin nature. The, the, the penalty of sin is gone. The power of sin is gone. But we haven't got to the other side yet. Which is called the finish line. So, again, even as Jesus did as He walked the earth... God with us, Emmanuel, and he was with these 12 disciples, and he was trying to lead them to the truth. He was trying to lead them to the fullness of who he was so that they would not fear, so that they could be of good courage, so that they could boldly speak the gospel. He's trying to do the same with you and I. He wants us to understand that he can do all things, and we do not have to fear. So when he fed 5,000 men, let's just keep it simple. 5,000 is a lot of people to feed with a little boy's lunchbox, five loaves and two fishes. And especially when he took up more, 12 baskets of fragments at the end, more than he started with. Wait a minute, let me get my calculator out. How does that math work? It's God math. Listen to me. It, it, it's super abundantly, exceedingly more than you could ever hope for or ask for. So that you understand that they understand. Listen, I told you last week, listen to me. Because if you go read in a commentary and if you look at this from the wrong direction, you think he was rebuking them. He was not rebuking them. He's not looking to set up and rebuke you all the time. He died for you. He's leading you. He's not wanting to beat you. He's leading you. He's loving you. He was providing for them. He was helping them to understand that you don't have to worry about the sustenance of this physical life. You need to just find out who I am and search out who I am and trust in me. Because with me, all things are possible. It wasn't a rebuke. It was a reminder, maybe. A reminder. Of what he can do with your little bit. If you just surrender it to him.
So, verse 45, let's read. Mark 6. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to a mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on, on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into the villages, cities, and the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Let's pray. Father, we surrender here today, and Lord, we know that we need your Spirit to teach us, and we want to receive with meekness the implanted Word for the saving of our souls, for the sanctifying of our souls, that our mind, will, and emotions would line up with what you've already done positionally with our spirits. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for continuing to train us and equip us. And thank you that we can be in your ship, your fellowship, as your children. Pour out your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 645, again, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he sent the multitude away. Now, now think about this. This is our word here. Immediately, New King James. It's straight away in the King James. And if you'll remember with me, it, there's an urgency that Mark writes with. And it's immediately, immediately, immediately. You see it constantly. If you have the King James, you know it says straight away, straight away, straight away. He's moving really fast. And I want you to understand that, that we need to think about that. Because as a nation, as a people, as a church, we've become lazy and complacent. And, and we've said, well, somebody else will do it. It'll be taken care of by them. Well, they've got somebody else. But God called you. What are you doing in your discipleship, in your sanctification, in the work that God has called you to do? Are you redeeming the time? Making the most of the time, as we're called to do in Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, redeeming, or excuse me, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And it really just means making the most of the time. 
See, because we've been sitting around in America, in the church, listen to me, not trying to beat the sheep. I know I get accused of that. I'm trying to talk about truth. Listen, we've been sitting around playing church, quoting scripture, but are we doing the gospel? While we're sitting around and playing, look what's going on now in the streets. Where has the gospel made a difference at? In the street, Marxism is running rampant. In the street, we have Marxism everywhere. What about the ideology of Jesus, the Christ? See, you people think that they're coming after statues. You think they're, co they're coming after Christians. They're coming after Christians. If you go after a Christian nation that was based on Judeo-Christian principles, to, in order to tear down the foundation, you have to kill the church. The beauty is, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, is that Jesus is going to take us home with the rapture of the church. But I don't know what kind of storms you're going to see. I don't know what kind of storms the church is going to see before he takes us home. Now, you've heard me say that, and I believe that. Uh, God did not give his life, pour out his blood, and, and is not sanctifying a bride to present her to himself, and then she's going to show up with a black eye and beat up and dragging herself in the door because God allowed the world to beat you up first. I just don't believe that. I just don't believe I'm appointed for wrath. I don't believe I'm going to show up when the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to prepare me a dorm for this spotless and pure bride to present to Jesus. But it doesn't mean that your body might not take some abuse and suffering and pain before your spirit crosses the finish line. Be very aware that we have to separate the physical and the spiritual. And see, that's the biggest problem while we were sleeping, America, while we were sleeping, church, while we were sleeping, the enemy crept in. And, and, and we're supposed to be being adorned as a bride with the washing of the water through the word. And, and we're sleeping and we're following the culture and the entertainment. And you know, I call it culturanity. And I don't have a new message. My message is still wake up and it starts in my chair. Wake up. Do I believe that we can pray and turn back the nation? No, I do not believe that. I turn on my radio and I hear people everywhere telling people to pray. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And now we're going to get together. And because of this big storm that's coming and because of this chaos, we're going to start doing all these things now. Really? How'd that work out for Israel when they did it? Go read Isaiah 30 and 31. God said, don't go to the world for help. Don't go down to Egypt for help. Don't start trying to do it now. This is of me. And your only hope is me. Look to me. Cry out to me. Because while you were sleeping, my time clock kept going. God never stopped working. God's still moving. See, he's not in time like us. And he's still doing what he was always doing. He's still going to get you across the finish line. But listen, there's a storm coming. And this text here is going to, going to actually pan out to be the same way 
as what's going on in America right now. But we need to wake up. I'm not telling you to pray that God would save a nation. In fact, I've never told you to pray that. Pray that God would save souls. God is here to save souls. He gave his most prized possession to save souls. And it's souls that we're concerned about. Souls of mankind. That's what God's concerned about. It's never changed. Immediately. Now, what was he doing? Remember, he's already, now listen to it. Remember, he was already trying to get them some rest. What happened? He was already moving them away, and they went to a deserted place. And what happened? The people knew where they were going, and they ran forward, and they got there. And there they are. And now they're in the middle of the wilderness, and they got five loaves and two fish but God was trying to get them to a a place of rest pay attention there's an analogy here there's a picture forming you can see it because it's the same thing with you and me he's trying to get us to rest he's trying to get us to cease from our works and enter into his rest and be part of his kingdom as his children and to stop doing what we want to do as a culture and begin to see his timetable and what he's doing in saving souls. So these had just went away. He sent them out and they're casting out demons. They're healing the sick and they come back and he's like, man, they are wore out from ministry. I got to get them away. And when they went out to this deserted place, people kept coming because remember John says, That Jesus said, you can go over to John 6 later and read it, do some homework. Jesus said to him, he's going to say to him in this text, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Commit to me. And they said, ew, and they all left. They all left. Because all they were following for was the bread. All they were following for was the meal. All they were following for was the physical. It wasn't the spiritual salvation that comes for the soul. They just wanted stuff. They just wanted some more bread, some more fish. They wanted to see some more miracles so that they could be entertained and have a little circus show. And Jesus was all serious about this because he knew he was going with his face set like flint to Jerusalem to die. And they were all like, hey, that was pretty good. Could you put some barbecue sauce on the next fish? Yeah, I'd like to try it with some Cajun sauce. I'd like to try it with some... And can we get some, and you got any other sides like coleslaw? See, I'm being facetious because this is a pretty serious subject here that is still going on in the church today, that Jesus is our rest. He wants us to rest. He wants us to understand that we lean on him and we follow him and we do his ministry, not build our own churches. Not do our own thing. If he be lifted up, it's actually in John 6, he talks about it. He's lifted up. Actually, no, it's chapter 12, I'm sorry, um, of John. I was reading there also because he said, um, work while you have light. The darkness is coming, and it is coming, believe me. It is going to get real dark. As soon as the church leaves, it's going to be so dark The only restraining force on the planet right now is the Holy Spirit working through the bride. That's the only thing that's keeping complete chaos of communism, Marxism, and Islam from taking over the planet. And then they're going to battle over, they're going to fight over who's in authority once it's over with. But they've all joined teams together because it's just the devil. 
with different ideologies from the devil. And then they're going to gather in the, in the Valley of Jezreel at Armageddon, and they're going to be ready to fight for who's going to be the ultimate power. And, and here comes God in the clouds with us, saints, and they're going to have to join back together and fight God. And then the blood's going to be up to the bridle of the horses. And just like then, even now, you and I don't have to lift a finger of our own power, strength, and might. But what we do need to do is follow. Be in the way with. Listen to what His voice is saying to us and trust Him. Now notice this like I was telling you. Because see, He's going to get them away. He's trying to lead them into rest. He's trying to get them to get out of their strength. He's moving them to understand who He is and that He is indeed the Messiah. And they don't need their own physical strength their own physical resources they don't even need to see him watch this because it's in the text they don't even need to see him to know that he is there he's training them for when he goes away when he gives them the great commission in matthew 28 18 through 20 to go and make disciples baptize them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, watch this, because he's, he's training. Are, where are you at in your training? Where are you at in your learning? Where are you at in your discipleship? Listen, these are good questions for you to write down on a pad of paper later and say, where am I at here? Am I following some physical battle on the planet? Or am I, am I involved in a spiritual battle that's not flesh and blood? It's a principalities and powers. It's spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Am I, which, which one am I involved in? Where am I living at? Is this my home or is heaven my home? Am I a citizen here or is heaven my citizenship? See, write these down and make a firm decision because God wants to lead you into that rest that you're indestructible until he's finished with you. So he wants to get them away for some physical rest, but it's really a type of our spiritual rest because as they go away for physical rest, what do they do? They're finding out more and more about him, which gives you peace. It gives you rest. It helps you understand that you must decrease so that he can increase. And you have to enter into his labor of the cross and not into your labors of religion. I'm preaching to myself, believe me. I'll sit down down there and listen to it. It'd be a lot better. So he tries to, it, it, here's what it says, King James. Straight away he constrained them. New King James is he made them. Now listen to what this means. It means to necessitate. It means to compel. It comes from the word that he used when he was in John 4 and he went through Samaria. And it says he must need go through Samaria. See, you must need to learn rest. You must need to learn to trust God. You and I need to be constrained to get away and think about what God does and what he can do, what he's doing in your life. It, it's, it's your private time with God when you pray. But see, what we do is we go from sermon. Now listen, I'm just talking about the, the Christian church. You get a sermon, and then you run back to your life. 
You get a sermon and you run back to what you're doing, but you don't really sit down and say, what did I just get taught? What am I being trained to do? Now that I'm equipped, who do I go to? And he wants you to get away and rest with that truth. He wants you to do the work of the ministry, but don't forget the Lord of the ministry. Listen, we'll get to the point in a minute. He constrained them. He said, you must need get away here. Go. Now think about this for a minute because it's really interesting to me. And I notice stuff like this and you might not. We were talking about it last week. In the physical, Jesus told them to tell them all to sit down. And they put them down in hundreds and fifties. Yet when he would teach in the spiritual, he would sit down and they would all stand up. So it was like the opposite because he's dealing with their physical need with the fish and the bread. Now here, watch this, as he's training them to learn, see, they're supposed to be following him, close behind him. But what does he do when he wants them to get away? He tells them to go before him. I'm I'm just saying, I notice stuff like this. And you're like, I don't care what you're noticing, just preach. Listen. Here here he's doing the opposite because he's worried about their physical rest. He's worried about them going away and learning and thinking about what they just got from him. And we're going to see at the end of it that, that, that Mark's the only one that tells us because they did not understand the loaves because of the hardness of their heart. And see, that's huge. That's huge. Because that's the same thing that the Spirit says about the nation of Israel in Isaiah. That who has believed our report? They haven't believed our report. Because of the hardness of their heart. And then we can go back to the soils, but we won't right now of the heart. So now he's telling them, the disciples, which means learners, his pupils, those who have come and obediently follow him voluntarily. See, that's something that's missing too. Listen, I talk to Christians all the time. Just listen to me. Just, just, just hear me out. I get on these ramp, rampages. Christians who act like, oh, I don't know if that's terrible. I want to do that. You already came to God voluntarily. You've been set free. So now you want to go do his work. It's a privilege to go and tell other people. And then we act like it's some type of a burden that he's putting upon us. His commandments are not burdensome. We're privileged to be in His family. We're privileged not to burn in hell. We're privileged to have the truth of the universe living in us, wanting to flow through us and tell others. Why is it a burden to so many Christians? Oh, I didn't say self. You said self? Because my self-life is getting in the way of what I'm called to do. Because culture has taught me that I got to keep my career over here and I got to get my toys over here and I got to get the gospel over here. But if this is not our home and we're ambassadors now, we don't have no careers, we don't have no toys. All we have is the life of the gospel because we've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. No longer I who live, it's me. It's no longer I. And you know what that word is? Everybody know what that word is? Ego. It's no longer I who live. See, when I lives, you ease God out. Ego, I. But the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. 
I'm not chasing my own life anymore. Now, I, I, I'm, I didn't say that like I wasn't doing that. That's not what I meant. That's the Christian life. You're not supposed to be chasing your own life anymore. You're supposed to be dead and allowing Christ to live through you in the flesh and use your body for His glory. So, anyway, His disciples. Would you call yourself a disciple? Would you call yourself a follower of Jesus? Would you say you're in the way with Christ? These are important questions. Or would you just say you're a Christian? Go back to my opening. Christian is a derogatory term. Yet it's become the main title of representatives of Christ. And it actually means Christ-like. So if you call yourself a Christian... The only way to become a Christian truly is to be a disciple, to be in the way, to be dead to self. Or, or else it just becomes costume jewelry. Christ-like would be dead to self. Christ-like would be laying our life down for souls. So he tells them to get in the boat. He's still trying to get them rest. And, it's, and again, the picture that's forming is that he's still trying to get you and I to rest in his salvation, rest in his deliverance. And while they went before him to the other side, he sent the multitude away. He's the one at work, not them. He's the one directing traffic, we might say, for lack of a better term. He's in control of all of this. He's on the throne. He fed the 5,000. He um, ushers them away. And then he dismisses the multitude. Then what did he do, Greg? Verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to a mountain to pray. Now, now, now wait a minute. That's in the text? Think about it. He's Jesus. He's God. Why does he need to go away and pray? I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. You've seen me. You've seen him. We're one. Why is he praying? Really, I'm just going to let that hang there for a long time. Why would Jesus pray? Is that like talking to yourself? I'm teasing. That was facetious. Listen to me. He's modeling. He's leading. He's training. What's he doing? Not, not that he went away to pray. That's for you and I down the corridors of time that Jesus prayed. And we need to pray. We need to get alone with the Father and pray. And allow the flock to grow and build their own love relationship as leaders. Okay, got that. But what's he doing? He sent them away by themselves. And he went somewhere else. Listen, this is a picture of Christ who is seated in heavenly places right now making intercessions for you and I. It's called a mountain in this text. And he's praying and he sees them on the sea in a boat. Listen to me. He's away praying, making intercession. Every bit of this text is the gospel that we know, but it's, it's past, present, and future. It's past what happened to them. It's present what we're learning. And it's future what he's going to do. 
This is even a type of the rapture as to them and takes them out and they get to the other side, the final of the text. They reach the other side, the finish line. But right now, where's Jesus? He's praying. Right now, in the text, for them, he's what, he's what he's doing. He's discipling and training them. And they're out in the water. The second storm. Remember we had the storm in chapter 4? He was in the boat on a pillow. He's with them. Now he's training them that even though he's not with them, he will not leave them nor forsake them, but he sees what they're going through again. So see, it's what he's trying to get you and I to understand. You ever been doing something? You go, oh, hope they didn't see that. Then you go, oh, man, God's seen it. That's because he sees everything. He knows where you're at. You're in a storm right now. You're in a battle. In fact, all of America, all of the world is in a huge battle. Probably the greatest battle they would ever fight. A battle unlike any other because we have COVID. And we have one world government. And we have this takeover going on. And it, it, it didn't first just take over in, in the society. It took over in your home. It made you go home. It made you wear a mask. It made you sit down and stop doing what you've always been doing. And it shook you out of your complacency. But then you had to stand still and go, now what do I do? What am I allowed to do? Is it really that bad? What? And you have to make some decisions here. Am I going to listen to God or am I going to listen to man? See, these are decisions you should have made at the birth, at the infancy of your Christianity. You should have already been making those decisions. Am I going to trust in God or in man? This is the heart of Christianity. Am I going to trust in the blood of Jesus or religion to save me? What are you trusting in today? What battle are you fighting in your life? Where do you find yourself arguing about in society? What are you debating about? Is it the blood of Jesus or mask? No, don't get me wrong. There's a battle there. There's a battle there. The mask is a great battle. Because if Christians are being deceived, and they are, and they're going to become the target, and they will, then we need to understand right now in the storm, who should I be listening to? And how should I be acting? And the only place to get that wisdom is to go to God, who gives without reproach, liberally and without reproach. It's available at the throne room in prayer. That's where Jesus is modeling right now. If you come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen to me. When this year started and God gave me our verse for the year, anybody remember what it was? I didn't know that COVID existed. But God laid it on my heart that we would remember mercy aplenty in 2020. That's what it is. And the key verse to that was to come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen to me. It, it, right now is the time where you need to spend time with God more than ever, ever in your life. Because of all the attack of the enemy upon the planet. And it's going to be moved to the church. Listen to me. It's coming to the church. And if you are the church, if you're the ecclesia, the called out ones, this storm is going to be huge. And Jesus is not in the boat on his head on a pillow like in chapter 4. But he's not going to leave us nor forsake us. 
And He's going to come. He's going to come right when this storm gets bad after a while, though. But it's going to be in the morning. Remember what the morning is when we went through Thessalonians? The morning is the new day. The morning is the new day when we're raptured out and we get to heaven. This is darkness right now. The morning is the new day. And this is it's really cool, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but he sees them straining and toiling in the storm. Come on, God, why didn't you run and get me like my parents did? No, he waits. He waits for maybe over four hours like he did with Lazarus, four days. He waits, and he lets them to see them, to test them, to train them, to see where they're going to cry out to. And when he finally comes, they don't even recognize him. Anybody getting those, those little pictures anymore? The analogy that's going on there? How his own nation, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but to as many as received him. See, he comes to them, they don't even recognize him. But then when he spoke, they, see, they hear his voice. And then they were calmed. And he gets in the boat with them. Anyway, I'm way ahead of myself. I love this stuff and I get a little excited, I'm sorry. We'll get back to it. He sent him away, and then he went away and departed to a mountain to pray. He has sent out his disciples. He has sent out his church. He has spoken his last. He has commanded us to go, and then he ascended into heaven. And what do we do? We stand and look. We stand and watch. And he said it in Acts 1. He said, why do you stand gazing? This same Jesus will come again in like manner. We're supposed to be going, not gazing, going, not playing. It's a battlefield, not a playground. Are you going? Right now, as you sit in your chair, who are you actively sharing the gospel with and going to? I am not trying to heap on any type of condemnation whatsoever, but if we are called to follow, Jesus is always going. Jesus is always at work. Jesus wants us to be going. He wants us to be actively involved in praying for and reaching people. Souls of mankind. That's what the church is called to do. That's what we were called out for, was to multiply and to continue to use His words, His power, His plan as our roadmap, as we follow close behind. So He went to pray. He's modeling prayer. Now listen to what prayer is. This is, if you look it up in the Strong's, it says this, to pray to God. So God went to pray to God. He's modeling for us prayer. But here's what it, it means to worship. I know. Wiley's looking all crazy back there. What? Well, that's what it means when we look at it. Pray means to petition God, to supplicate to God. It means to request to God. It means to boldly come to the throne and, and, and lay it down. It doesn't mean to come like a genie and say, do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. See, that's upside down because we're actually serving him. So we're not supposed to be coming to God and going, do this, do this, do this. We're supposed to be coming and saying, what do you want me to do? Here's what's going on in society. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to answer? How do you want me to thus live? Because we're lining our hearts up with who he is. He's not lining his hearts up with who we are. That would be insane. Listen, 
It's a dependency, learning to lean on Him because He sees what's going on in the spiritual realm. He knows what's going on tomorrow. He knows we're at the end of the age. He knows what the devil's doing. So we come to Him and pray and worship. The most Listen, we've turned rock music or whatever we do on the stages on Sunday morning into the biggest type of worship, and that is not the biggest type. The biggest type of worship is an absolutely surrender of your time, yourself, and you to get alone and pray with God. That's the purest form of worship. Because you're saying, I can't do this. I need help with this. I need wisdom on this. And here I am, Lord, to surrender, to find out who you are and how I'm supposed to act. And it's learning dependency. It's the greatest form of worship you can ever have is to bow down and humble yourself before God. No matter what anybody else tells you, no matter what new song Casting Crowns comes out with or Jeremy Camp, the greatest form of worship is prayer. Listen to me, because you are saying that I trust that you're there even when I don't see you. You're saying, I know you're there and I can come and reason with you and you will put your wisdom in me to deal with these issues of life and you will take care of my wife and you will take care of my husband and you will take care of my boss and all I need to do is worry about taking care of the gospel and being equipped so I can hand it out to others in a way that when we get to the land of Genesaret and we anchor the boat as we get out of the boat the people from the surrounding regions will automatically know who he is and they will run and get everybody to come see. See, that's what that next text is about. We'll get there maybe, run out of time. So, he went away to pray. As I always say, when we have a text with praying, are you praying? No, 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 no. You can do the token prayers on the way as you put your foot on the gas and you're going about eight miles over. You can pray then. But are you getting up early and praying before you leave your house? Dads, this is so important for, for fathers. This is so important for dads. And, and especially if you don't leave your house. See, because that's in my brain right now because I'm not leaving my house this week. I'm going to work on my own. And now you have to be self-motivated. And this is a whole different thing than going and showing up because somebody's got a time clock on you. Now you have to say, is this in my integrity? Is this in my heart? Is this what I want to do? You get up and you pray and you pray over your house and you pray over your children and you pray over the things that God wants you to pray about and you leave them at his throne so he can deal with their hearts. And believe me, this is easier to preach than it is to live. I'm not... I'm not trying to act like I got this figured out. Watch me. You can watch me, but I haven't got it all figured out. Ask my wife. Don't say a word. Oh, it was rhetorical. Wasn't, don't really ask her. You might not come back to church if you really ask her, which is okay if you've got a relationship with Jesus. Listen, listen, are you praying? Yeah, the first big one. Wow. Man, I feel so guilty right now. No, just start praying. It's not for guilt. It's for wake up and smell what's going on. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I counseled with a couple the other day. Now, I'm not going to mention no names, but I counseled with this couple the other day, and I started talking to them about what happened, and, and, and they knew exactly what the gospel said and did the opposite because it was the only choice available. I'm not going to go into it. Why are you looking all startled? My wife's like, oh, you're going to go into it. No, I'm not. I'm just going to give the highlights. 
She's freaking out because I don't want to, you know, you don't, you don't ever want to divulge counseling because once you do, you're never going to be a counselor again because um, <laughs> nobody wants to tell you if you're going to tell their secrets. But my point was is that as I looked at them and I talked to them and I said, the Bible says, they go, we know, but there was no other choice. These were the only two choices. Really? Really? That's how come you made that decision because there was no other choices? Maybe it wasn't time to make a decision at all yet then. Maybe you should have waited. Maybe you should have continued to pray. Because God's not going to give you two evils and say, choose one of them evils. There's always going to be God and godliness and righteousness. Okay, listen, are you praying? Jesus is modeling it here. But he's not just modeling prayer. What did I say a minute ago? He's preparing the boys. And we're being prepared. Today, the only proverb God has ever given me, listen, your struggles today will be your strengths for tomorrow. It's the only proverb God ever gave me. Because what you're going through right now in your life, if you will listen to God and ask Him for wisdom, will be your strength tomorrow. He's preparing you. He knows what's coming in two years, two days, two hours. And He's trying to prepare you right now so that you'll have the right words, the right actions, the right things to do when that comes. And so here's the boys. Jesus knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified, mocked, spit on. He knows he's going into grave. He knows he's getting up. He knows he's going to spend 40 days speaking to them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then he's going to ascend into heaven. And then he's going to send the Holy Spirit back. They don't know this stuff. So he's preparing them. The first time they're in the storm, Little worse storm, he's on the boat sleeping. Chapter 4, carest thou not if we perish? And he says, hush, quit. Where's your faith? To the boys. Or, or literally, you have no faith in who I am. Not in, not in who they are, not in what they could do because they're fishermen, but in the fact that he's in the boat with them. And so then he walks them a little bit further, and you get another where they're out there by themselves. He's not present, although he sees them because he's praying. And right now, God is not with you physically. He's in heaven praying, making intercession for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us because he's acquainted with our grief. He knows we're out on the sea. Now, that's, you know, the sea is often referred to in the Bible, and it's, it's actually the whole world. It, it, it's actually many waters is all the people that's down here, the whole human race. Listen to me. And they're out there on the sea, but they're in his ship. They're in the fellowship, and they're trying to toil and row, and he's up on the mountain, and he sees what you're going through right now. He sees the sin in your life. He sees the battle in your life. He sees your heart. He sees everything. And nothing is hidden. Because he's God on the mountain. Just like he was on Mount Sinai. He's on the mountain praying. And he's for you. He's not against you. And with him all things are possible. Nothing is impossible. It's not over. He's not finished. He's not mad at you. He died for you. He's ready to fill you with His Spirit. He's coming for us. He's going to take us out of this great storm that's coming. He will remove you through, not out of, but through the storm going on right now in your life. But before He pours out His wrath on this planet, I believe 
we'll get to the other side. He'll take us out of this world, present us to the wedding supper as a pure and spotless bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. How's that going to happen? Boy, how's that going to happen? Because all things are possible with God. And we already have his imputed righteousness. And when we see him, we'll be just like him. And we'll have his uh, practical righteousness. And we'll be removed from the presence of sin and into his um, marvelous light. So he's praying, verse 47. Now when evening came, notice that evening came. That was two verses, by the way. We're almost done. When evening came, see, it's getting dark. Listen, looks dark out there. I, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, and, and we're all in the same uh, uh, ship, um, fellowship, but you need to have all things in common with those people in the ship and start to fellowship with somebody. Um, I was watching the news. Oh, here we go with that, huh? Listen, no, if you watch the news, you know what I did? I turned it to, I turned it to the professor live. Because if I'm going to be entertained with some lies, I might as well watch a basketball player. But it's very hopeless when you watch the news. You know why? It's very fearful. You know why? It's very ugly. You know why? The devil wants you to be scared, hiding and cowering in your house and wearing a mask. He don't want you to remember that your identity is in Christ and you're bold. The righteous are bold as a lion. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And if you listen to a lie long enough, you'll believe it. You'll start apologizing for being white. You'll start apologizing for being American. You'll start apologizing for things you never did. God's never asked me to apologize and ask for forgiveness for something I didn't do. And if you're still asking for forgiveness over sins you committed years ago, he don't even want to hear that. He's already tossed them as far as the east is from the west to the sea of forgetfulness. Not because he can't remember them, because he don't want to and has chosen not to. And that's an immutable thing, a characteristic of him, that he doesn't remember sin that he's forgiven. Listen to me. We got to wake up in the church. Why are we the church if we act just like the world? If we think like the world, if we get our news from the world, if we get our ideas from the world, if we get our education from the world, if we get everything our worldview is from the world, then why are you the church? Why don't you just go back to the world and do what they're doing? And go on to hell. But that's not what he has for us. He has a whole new idea for us. It's called truth. I've been texting with a guy back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Now listen, here's his reason why we're texting. I'm like, why can't we just have a conversation? He's like, because you won't let me get a word in edgewise. Oh, I know you guys understand that. That's why I said it. I, I have no problem with sharing truth. He goes, at least this way I can get my ideas on the table. And I go, well, they're demonic. They're demonic ideas. You don't need to get them on the table. You're just reinforcing them in your own mind when you repeat the lies of the, and the narrative of the world. 
When are we going to get this through? The reason we're in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship is to change our mind, to change our direction, to change our hearts. Because we changed our allegiance. It's no longer to the Father of lies. It's to the Father of life. It's to the Father in heaven. But we're repeating the narrative of the liar and sharing it and fighting in a battle about it, and it's not even our battle. Again, why do we need to talk about it? Because we have to rescue the POWs. There's a lot of Christians who don't understand nothing after they said a prayer because the church has lied to them and said, all you need to do is say a prayer. So all they did was said a prayer, which is all the demons. The demons believe and tremble. That's all the demons do. They know who Jesus is, but they never do anything about their knowing. They never change. They never turn. They never do anything differently. We call that demonic faith in the church. And that's predominantly what's in the church anymore. I know you're going, oh, be careful. You're getting awful close to God's bride. No, I'm not. None of God's bride has demonic faith. His true bride has real faith that's turning and following him and becoming followers of Christ. Listen, so if that's not us, then we need to revisit the blood. We need to revisit our salvation. We need to return to what one might call our first love. Because demon faith only leads to hell. Demon church leads to hell. The synagogues of Satan ain't getting you saved. And that's what culturanity is when I say it nicely. It's practicing religion and making God out to be who you want Him to be instead of spending time in the Scriptures and saying, Oh, that's who He is? Oh, He's here even though He's not in the boat with His head on a pillow? Oh, that's how come He come to us. Because He's already here. He's never left. Where can you go? Where would God go? If he's everywhere, where's he going to go? Lord, I'm leaving now. Really? Like me, when I got saved, I used to spend the time in Tom Camp's house. I'd leave my car running outside for like three hours. And say, I'm leaving now about a hundred times. And I'm thinking, he's thinking, yeah, I really wish you would. <laughs> I was going to brush my teeth and shower and get ready for today. And you ain't shut up in three hours. But you know what? When you find light and truth in someone who understands it, you should want to spend time there. And why are the churches empty? Now, I am saddened. I'm going to houses and houses and houses and hearing people go, oh, yeah, we can't go back to church. Really? Because the government told you you can't go back to church? That sounds like the devil to me. That's why I say 1 John 5, 19. If that's not your favorite verse, then you should write it down, memorize it. Because that's what the church is doing today. We're listening to the government. Why would you want to listen to the government? Why would we want to listen to the government? I'm not preaching civil disobedience. I'm saying, who is your government? See, listen, there's a government already spoke, and it's over. And if you are saved, then that's the government you're under. Of his government, there will be no end. But the devil, who wants to be like the Most High God, has set him up his own little ruling authority, one world government, I don't care what you call it. It's, it's Babylon rising, it's, 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 it's whatever you want to call it. But it's the devil. 
People are calling it all kinds of stuff. Are you on the internet and you go, oh, where's that from? Where'd you get that at? It's just a good old-fashioned sin. Did God say? And Eve chose, again, not to hear the voice of God, but to hear the voice of the lie. And she chose the lie. And the church is doing it again. The nation of Israel did it again. It's human nature. If we don't surrender and say no to self and ask God for wisdom and get alone and pray and begin to learn who he is and his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. His sheep don't hear his voice and say, ah, no, I like his answer better. I'm going to take B. Because that's how we got here was B. So it's evening. Listen, right now is evening. We're approaching the end of these 7,000 years. It's evening. There's getting ready to be a new day. For us, it starts with the rapture, and then it's followed by a seven-year tribulation where God pours out His wrath upon the planet. The sons of disobedience, those who would not come underneath new authority and receive the blood that was freely given for the salvation of mankind. And our ship is in the middle of the sea. Right now in this dark day, we're in the middle of the sea. Actually, the word sea comes from the word salt. Which is interesting because many waters and we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And we're on the, in the ship on the sea. And he was alone on the land. And what did he do? He saw them straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. Contrary, King James, opposite, antagonistic. Just like our culture today is opposite, antagonistic. They say that same sexes can marry. That's opposite, antagonistic. That's the wind. Look at the wind. It's from a word that means air. The prince of the air is opposite and antagonistic and against us. Sorry. So he's on this mountain, and they're out in the middle of the sea, maybe four miles out. And he saw them clear as day, toiling and rowing, and they're in a storm. It's because he's God. And he sees where you're at right now, toiling and rowing with all this. Oh, did I mention they're marrying the same sex? What about they're just not marrying? Listen, it's all the same. It's all sin against God. Church is so ready to point out the LGBTQ agenda, which they should. I'm not withdrawing that. But we're pointing out sin. We're salt. But we should point out sin in our own lives first. They're straining and toiling. It's interesting because that word, I mean, he knows your fight. He knows your battle. He knows your toiling. He sees your plight. The word toiling, listen. It means torture and pain. Vexing. Remember how righteous Lot's soul was vexed? He sees that as we're trying to live out this Christian life and we're in the ship and we're in the middle of the storm and we don't know which side to choose. Listen to me, it's very clear. 
if we would read the scriptures, Matthew 24, he's going to turn those who love the others, love one another against each other. That's what happens in the last days. Mother will be against daughter, father against son. People who have great relationships take the opposite sides of the same battle and he turns them against each other. What's that? It's the nations against nations. Go read it. Go look it up. It's a little deceptive. It's a little hidden because it's really ethnos against ethnos. Ethnic group against ethnic group. What? It's what's happening in our street. Ethnic groups against ethnic groups. It's exactly what he does. The enemy comes to divide, to destroy, to kill, to conquer. And we're supposed to know these things because we've been in the word. We're supposed to understand he's coming. We're supposed to understand the storm and know that the battle is hard and know that the rowing is difficult and knowing that the enemy is going to attack. But we're always supposed to be trusting that God's in the boat. We're always supposed to be trusting that he's getting us to the other side. We're always supposed to be trusting that there is no more penalty for sin for us. There is no more power of sin. And he's just removing the practice of sin so that he can take us from the presence of sin. But when we join in in a physical battle, it probably is sin. Now, equipping saints not to get lost and to give them a roadmap from the scriptures, I think that's a very important thing to do because as a shepherd, that's what I'm called to do is proclaim truth and be on the watchtower. Be very careful what you're involved in because peaceful riots, I mean, peaceful um, protests turn into riots. Mob mentality does nothing for any society. It does, any, it does nothing except destroy the foundations. And if they're removed, which is what's happening, if they're removed, I'll digress. He saw them. Isn't that good? See, because you're thinking, Saul, it means to be aware, to understand, to relate to. He didn't just see them like, oh, I've seen that. I've seen what you did. I've seen what you're doing. No, he didn't just saw them. He understood it. He understood it. He didn't just saw it. He was aware of it. He was allowing it. And he's seen them at evening, and he doesn't come to them for several hours. Carest thou not if we perish? You're asleep on a pillow the first time. He's not even in the boat this time, but he saw it. He's aware of it. He knows they're straining and they're rowing. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. It's, it's near morning, walking on the sea. And would have passed them by. Are you kidding me? Lord, you're right there. Lord, you know, you understand, you're aware, and you're going to pass me by and not help me. Can you imagine how they felt? Well, they didn't even recognize him. Does that remind you of the church today? We don't even recognize him. If Jesus walked in, we wouldn't even recognize him. If his word showed up, we wouldn't even know it. If truth was there, we wouldn't even see it. And I'm not saying emphatically. But we've redesigned the church and we've made it politically correct. And it's built on budgets and buildings and business principles. It's not built on the spirit of God and the word of God and the truth of God according to God. Even though he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. 
So he came to them. He let them struggle. He let them deal with it. He let them grow in their faith. He let them think about it. I wonder if they thought, if only if Jesus was here. I wonder if Peter looked at John and said, boy, I wish Jesus was here. Last time he just spoke. I wonder if they thought that. You ever thought that? You ever thought, boy, I wish Jesus was here, or man, I wish he would just show me clearly in the scriptures instead of making me have to decide which way to go. It's pretty amazing. He's walking on the water. (laughs) Now, listen, they say that Mark was discipled by Peter, so you notice that conveniently Peter doesn't mention the fact that he sunk. See, because if he mentions the fact that he said, Hey, Lord, is it you? Then bid me come to you. Then he has to mention the fact that he sunk. So he just leaves it out. It's just not even in the text. It's in Matthew. See, because if he has to brag about walking, somebody else is going to brag about him sinking. But I love the fact that he was bold enough to step out of the boat. Because I don't know of any saints that didn't step out of the boat and didn't sink. See, but when you get your eyes on the storm, When you get your eyes back on the physical and you forget that we are now to regard nothing as flesh and blood, but it's all spiritual and that God knows what's going on. So we have to keep our eyes fixed upon him. We have to trust in his spiritual power, his spiritual mind, his spiritual leading and guiding and his living and active spiritual word, which is already forever settled. Because we're on his spiritual timetable. Then you don't sink. But it's really easy to sink. But he leaves that out. Here he is walking on the sea and would have passed them by. I got a little note in mind that says Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 24, 8, 24, 28. You can go look there later. It's the road to Emmaus. If you remember, it's the continuation of the same training, but it's after the resurrection. See, he wants them to understand. He wants you to understand. He wants me to understand that he's here with us now. He wants them to understand this. And even on the road to Emmaus, remember how Jesus was telling them everything. And he opened the scriptures. What scriptures? Old Testament scriptures. Because there was no New Testament yet. And he, and he began to tell them all the things that the Christ must go through and to suffer. And then it was as if he would go on past where they were going. But they compelled him to come here and come on, come on with us. And then when they closed the door, then their eyes were open and they realized it was him. Again, he would have passed by. He would have passed them by if they looked in the physical. But watch, watch what happens. He speaks and my sheep hear my voice and they follow. Instantly they knew who he was when he speaks. They didn't know in the storm. They didn't know as he's walking past and again, there's, there's other people that actually say, because here's what the word pass means. When you look it up in the Greek, it can be to come near or beside, which is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes alongside, right, and helps you to know truth, and then you have to make a decision. Uh, or it can be to go by or to go away. So he can either be testing them to see if they will call for him, because look what they're doing. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. Now, this is the only time in the King James that the word ghost is used. And it doesn't mean the Holy Ghost. 
ghost. And it means a phantom or phantasm. It means it's, it's, it's you and I. When something happens in, in, our, in our storm, and we go, oh, this is my sin. Remember when Joseph's brothers, dad died, and they go, oh, no, he'll get us now. And see, and you start to blame why your life is where it's at right now in the storm and why the storm is there. And you don't understand that if Jesus is in your life and in the boat, the storm is there for your training and teaching. You still think that he's trying to punish you and get you for your sin, but he's already forgiven it. If he's in the boat and there's a storm going on, it's no longer evil. Now it's become the training and testing and teaching of God. Listen, three T's, training, testing, and teaching of God. Oh, he might allow the devil to bring it, but it's still the training, testing, and teaching to show you where your heart is and how you might live and what you might do and who you might cry out to. Notice, here comes, here comes the street version. They thought they'd seen a phantom, a ghost, and they cried out. That means scream like girls. These fishermen, they went, ah! Scream like girls. I'm not picking on girls. I've seen a lot of guys scream like girls. For they saw him and were troubled, stirred, agitated is what troubled means. They didn't know what to know. They didn't know. You know, when they seen him clearly and he and he and he calms the storms, they go, Who is this guy? When, he, when, they, when they can't hardly see him, they're like, oh, we're scared and troubled. See, and he's bringing them to this truth of who he is. He's bringing them. He's bringing you and me. Yes, we've trusted in him perfectly. And we, we have salvation positionally. But practically in our mind, will, and emotions, our soul, he's still sanctifying us. He's delivering us from the flesh until we cross the finish line and lay it down and get a new body. Again, they saw him and were troubled, but immediately, straight away, he talked with them and said to them, listen, they hear his voice. He's talking with them now. They're reasoning together. Be of good cheer. It is I. It might even say, I am. Ego ami. I am the becoming one in the storm. Do not be afraid. Phobia. Do not be alarmed. Do not be frightened. Then he went up into the boat. Look, he gets in the ship with them where he was at in their last storm. He goes up in the boat to them. Isn't that, isn't that good when God comes to you? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you know he showed up, you were praying. When something was going on, there was a storm. All of a sudden, it's, it, you know he showed up. He's coming to them. He's not coming. Listen, he come to them. It's personal. See it in the text? He come to them. It wasn't about the boat. It was about them. Learning. What happened? The wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. What's interesting here? See, he's leading them. He's training them. They're learning to take his yoke. They're learning to follow. They're learning that he's not always going to be there. What did he do? He didn't speak to the storm. Listen, last time he spoke to the storm. Last time he spoke to the water. Last time he said, peace be still. Last time he even spoke to them about their faith. 
this storm, as he walks him to himself, he doesn't even speak. He just gets in the boat and the same seas, the same seas, it relaxed. It actually means to cut. It means a reduction of strength. See, there's no strength. When Jesus is in the boat, there's no strength of the evil that the devil means for you. There's only training from the master. There's only training from God. There's only teaching and testing because you're his. He's not going to kick you out of the family. So he gets in the boat with them. Gets in the ship with them. Is Jesus in your ship? But they still marveled. I know you want me to quit. We're going to. They marveled. And look what it says in 52. For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Their heart was hardened. They didn't understand. Considered not is the King James. They didn't put it together. It means mentally comprehend. They didn't add it up and consider it clearly that it has to be God. He has to be the Messiah. He has to be Emmanuel with us in order to feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And their hearts were so hard they couldn't even receive it. So what do I want you to do? I want you to look back at the last storm and always remember how God comes through. That's the building of your faith. These, these scriptures are written. 66 books, 40 authors. The Old Testament written as examples of His faithfulness. Examples of what you can look back and have a memorial and remember that He always comes through for His people. Yes, it might be in the middle of the storm when the boat seems to be turning over and you say, carest thou not if we perish. He's coming through. He's not going to leave you. If it's your turn to die, you might die. But He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. You're going to be in a twinkling of an eye. You'll be with Him. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's called receiving the crown. That's called finish line. That's called I'm done with this. Why do we look at death like it's such a bad thing? Seriously. Because the devil wants you to be afraid and fearful of death. Salvation removes that. Death is the last enemy. Salvation removes our fear of death. All of your life you were fearful of death. Really? Still am. Why? Why? Because of a lack of faith. See, if we understood that, that we were going to be with Jesus and that was a good thing... We wouldn't still be afraid because the wages of sin is death and we no longer have those wages upon us. It's been taken for us. V 53, when they had crossed over, notice they got to the other side. They got to the other side. They came to the land of Genesaret and they anchored there. And when they had come out of the boat out of the ship, immediately the people recognized him. That's epigonoskos. I love that word. One of my favorite words. Jesus said you can epigonoskos them by their fruit. 
You can recognize them by their fruit. It's, it's, it's a, a mark. Um, it's somehow, I mean, it's a, it's a mark and an acknowledgement. It's something you can be fully acquainted with by what they do, what they talk about, what they look like. They epigonoskos. They instantly recognize Jesus. And what did they do? Forget the straightaways and the immediately's. Look what they did in 55. They ran through the surrounding regions. Listen, if we know that Jesus is our only hope and we know that the hour is late and we know that we've been called to go, why would we not run to the surrounding regions and tell them that Jesus is here? Why would we not tell them the hope that lies within us? Why would we not give them the gospel and tell them to quit fighting over this death? They began to carry about. Look at the work they're doing. They didn't just run. They cared so much about the other people around. They knew Jesus could heal them. And they began to pick them up and carry them back to the area of the marketplace where he was at. They wanted to get people to Jesus. See, in Luke, there's that great story of taking off the roof and dropping one guy down. These people are going to get everybody. They're bringing everybody because of their care. And because they know and they've seen and they've witnessed that Jesus can heal them. And they begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. They were made whole. Isn't that what we want to do is touch Jesus? Listen, he's already touched us. He's already touched the planet. There's nobody that's not been touched by Jesus. But it's your act of your will to touch him now and to reach out and hear his voice and surrender. Because as many as reach to touch him and choose to obey him and follow him, he'll make you whole. He's going to get you to the other side. But you can have that rest and that peace today, instantly. Even though he's leading you to it practically, it's positionally yours you don't have to worry about what somebody will do. Listen, it's crazy out there. It's crazy out there. It really is. When people don't want to talk about the different ideas in the marketplaces anymore and bring the sick there and look for healing, now they want to shout you down. You're not allowed to have a different opinion. If you have a different opinion than them, they're going to hit you in the face or they're going to kill you. Seriously. Seriously. I'm not being, I'm not being uh, weird or nothing. It's just happening right in our very streets. Jesus said lawlessness will abound. How much more lawless can you get than to have a six block radius where people are running the city that has no power except they just took it over with rifles and hate? Really? That's what you wanted instead of? A police officer killing a guy? You wanted to take over the whole city and kill anybody you wanted to? Really? That's your idea of what we should be doing? It's the same thing they did. I mean, listen, everybody knows that it was horrible that George Floyd died. But in Seattle, they did worse than George, than, than, than George Floyd's murderer ever did. 
Did you guys see that? I mean, I've already talked about it. The first person who spray painted something they didn't want to spray paint, they beat him down. Is that the rule of law we want? It's what the devil wants. We're in trouble if we want that type of rule of law because Americans are some weak sissies. That's a really good sermon there, Pastor. We are. It's just like the, I mean, the book of Judges. Their hands didn't know war. And there's no king. They get to do whatever they want. And God even uses that. They had to cry out to Him for deliverance. And He would raise up a deliverer. Where are you at in all this? Are you in the fellowship? They're coming for your Bible. Better have it hidden in your heart. Better have it hidden in your heart. They're coming after you. Father, we know that the devil uh, is already defeated. We pray that we would live life abundantly. We would go out in your power and your might with a boldness. We would not be afraid. Thank you for the courage. Thank you for boldness. Thank you for cheerfulness. Thank you that you would say to us, be of good cheer. Be bold. For I will never leave you nor forsake you. I see where you're at. I see your heart. Thank you, Lord, that you would comfort us in the storm. Thank you that you're coming back to take the chosen home. But Lord, we pray for salvation of souls. We pray that blind eyes would be opened. We pray that you would bring people to repentance and that you would send us and that we would be sheep that hear your voice and you know us and we follow you. We are in the way with you. Pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I?